Welcome to Malpractice Insider, a patient safety podcast of case studies from the Harvard Medical System, from Crico, the insurance program for all of the Harvard Medical Institutions and their affiliates, bringing a data-driven approach to reducing medical error through clinical analysis of malpractice claims. A 43-year-old woman saw her new primary care physician one time. Shortly after that visit, she saw a covering physician for an urgent care appointment with complaints of intermittent fever and fatigue for one week. Blood work, including Lyme, serology, urinalysis, and urine culture were ordered. She was instructed to call or return if her symptoms worsened. Two days later, she emailed her PCP with a complaint of continued fever, fatigue, and a new rash. She made an appointment for the following day. In her medical record was a history of congenital bicuspid aortic valve, but her PCP did not see it. She repeated the lab work and treated the patient for a presumed urinary tract infection. Initially, the patient improved, but eight days after her visit, she called the office and emailed her PCP with complaints of increased fever to 102.5 joint pain, and a rash that had spread to her chest. The patient requested additional blood work and a treatment plan, but was not seen in person. Her lab work was repeated, and she was also referred to infectious disease for evaluation of her persistent fever and fatigue. One week after that, upon exam, the infectious disease physician detected a heart murmur. A subsequent echocardiogram led to a diagnosis of aortic valve endocarditis. The patient was admitted for IV antibiotics and required a valve replacement. She did not experience any long-term sequelae. The patient sued her PCP, alleging that the defendant's failure to recognize her medical history led to the delayed diagnosis and treatment of endocarditis. The case was settled in the medium range. To discuss the patient safety and risk management aspects of this case, Dr. Jonathan Einbinder joins us now. Dr. Einbinder is Vice President, Advanced Data Analytics and Coding at CRICO. Jonathan is also an attending internal medicine physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Jonathan, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here. Uh, For the case, where do you start to see things go sideways a little bit? Well, you know, um, Tom, the first thing I would say is that this is is the kind of case that scares every doctor um, because uh, it's a pretty routine case, a patient having a fever, and 99 times out of 100, it turns out to be nothing, and it's that one time where where it isn't, is the one that we all worry about missing, and that's what happened here. I think because fever is such a common complaint, uh, I don't think that it really went wrong at the initial evaluation, uh, where the patient first presented and was evaluated, had some testing done, I think it really started to go wrong when the patient presented with the same complaint that was persisting and the evaluation didn't um, go down the path of possible uh, other diagnoses like endocarditis. So a lot of times these medical liability cases feature continued patient complaints for the same issue. Um, How does that sort of signal play a part in this case? What kind of principle would you think of in these situations? Yeah, so when when a patient returns with a repeated complaint, you know, in this case with the repeated complaint of fever and even some new symptoms such as the rash, uh, it's important to always think about what could be going on and whether your working model for the diagnosis is the correct one. 
Uh, one thing which seemed to be missing in this particular evaluation was um, certainly a formal differential diagnosis that may have been present in the physician's brain, but wasn't um, documented and, and didn't. there's no evidence that was really thought about. Uh, so for example, in this patient, a differential might include things like a simple viral illness. Uh, it could also have included Lyme disease and testing was done for Lyme disease or urinary tract infection. Um, but it also could have included things like uh, you know, endocarditis, pneumonia, uh, other occult infections, or even other inflammatory conditions. Um, and then, you know, when the patient continued to come back or came back again, and the symptoms persisted over time, uh, additional testing and additional evaluation should have been done for those other possibilities. It also didn't seem like uh, the patient history was as thorough as it needed to be for this case. Yeah, and this is a really important point. Uh, this is uh, going to read between the lines a little bit because we're, we're missing a few of the details. But the patient is a 43-year-old woman who had a new primary care physician. And I, it doesn't say whether she was new to the practice or, or just new to this physician. Um, but presumably, the physician at the initial encounter takes a medical history um, may or may not review prior records, if those are available to her, um, is going to do some documentation, including writing a note, uh, putting medications on a medication list, allergies on an allergy list, and problems on a problem list. Um, and in particular for this patient, there's a history of a bicuspid aortic valve, which is a condition that increases the risk for a condition like endocarditis. Um, and is a condition that should be reflected, should be known to the physician, and should be documented on the problem list. And it is completely understandable to me as a practicing physician how at an initial visit I might not get that, I might not be aware of it, and I might not get it on the problem list. Uh, what that means is, in this case, the patient's second visit when she had the fever was with a covering provider, was with an urgent care physician. That physician would have been relying on the problem list to understand what that patient's um, conditions were. And in fact, if the bicuspid valve were present, might have increased the suspicion for endocarditis. Uh, so the, the documentation of that problem is absolutely crucial. Um, it's completely understandable why that might have fallen through the cracks. Uh, and, you know, it's one of those, you know, situations that's a setup for what happened for this patient. And how would you see the ideal kind of communication? What would that look like with the patient through, throughout the case to improve the chance for a better outcome? Well, the patient um, calls back after eight days saying she's still having a high fever, uh, 102.5 degrees Fahrenheit. And now having joint pain, still having a rash, which is getting worse, still feeling fatigued. And so now a fever for eight days is a different, um, has a different differential diagnosis than a fever for one or two days. Unlikely to be the flu or a cold or a cough or even an pneumonia, something else is going on. So again, the patient's doing her job. She's notifying her care team. And this is where the, the, the care team needs to uh, recognize these symptoms as being concerning and requiring 
really additional acute evaluation. She should have been seen in person so somebody could listen to her chest and see if she has a heart murmur. Um, they could have thought of additional testing like a chest X-ray or an echocardiogram. Yes, you know, so there's definitely things I think that, that could or should have been done at that point. Um, and to the point you made earlier, Tom, you know, if they realized that she had a bicuspid aortic valve, I am confident they would have thought of this diagnosis and done additional testing. So that was really a critical piece of uh, missing information. I guess the two things I would just emphasize is fever is a common complaint, and most of the time it is not something serious. So the initial evaluation doesn't need to go overboard most of the time with lots of expensive and, and invasive testing, um, you know, referrals and so on. However, if the patient has risk factors, such as a bicuspid valve in this case, or if the patient is not getting better, then there needs to be a differential diagnosis um, and, there, you know, and there needs to be kind of a clear uh, plan of, of treatment and evaluation. Uh, I think that would be, you know, sort of one point to make. The, the other point, and this just relates to differential diagnosis, um, is just to saying that uh, I always think of when I'm seeing patients, um, I'll give credit to Jerome Grootman from Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center for this uh, principle. But when I'm seeing a patient, even if I think I know what is going on, it is always helpful to ask the question, what else could this be? Um, and so if I'm seeing a patient and I, who's having a high fever and I think it's a urinary tract infection, I should at least be asking the question, what else could it be? I don't necessarily need to be doing diagnostic testing at that point, but I should have a differential diagnosis. And if the patient is not promptly improving, um, be ready to look further down that list of diagnoses. Lastly, from a risk, risk management perspective, the documentation of those issues is critical um, in demonstrating the, the sort of the thought process of the clinician um, and helping to uh, prevent or defend um, uh, in the event of a malpractice claim being filed. Well, thank you. Dr. Jonathan Einbinder is Vice President, Advanced Data Analytics and Coding at CRICO. For MedMal Insider, I'm Tom Agello. Thank you for listening to Malpractice Insider, a podcast of case studies from Crico in the Harvard Medical System. Find all of our podcasts at www.rmf.harvard.edu slash podcasts and subscribe. Find us wherever you get your podcast and then rate and review the show to help others find it too.